Our next guest is on a mission to make facts matter. Vaslav Smil is an environmental scientist, a policy analyst, and a hugely prolific author. He is also Bill Gates' go-to guy for making sense of our world. And his new book is titled Numbers Don't Lie, 71 Stories to Help Us Understand the Modern World. In this newest work, Smill explains how numbers reveal the true state of our world, exploring a wide range of topics. And we'll get into some of them with him now. Vaslav Smill, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Hi. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. <laughs> yes, that's, that's fine. Uh, so uh, start with what prompted you to write this book right now? Actually, you know, uh, they turn it all around. They put it at the end. They should have put it at the beginning. This <laughs> book uh, is a collection of essays I've been writing over the years for uh, Spectrum, i.e., the Journal of Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers. So it's a collection of monthly essays uh, over five, uh, five years, and we just grouped it into different categories, like, you know, economy, people, environment. So uh, it's been generated over a number of years, but there is one underlying uh, motive to it all, namely, you know, facts, 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 because, uh, as you well know, we now live in a pretty much a post-factual society. Mm-hmm. Anybody can go on the net and say whatever people want, and... Uh, that's not how science should work. We should just stick to facts. Yeah, yeah. So uh, your book is unique in that it doesn't just use stats and figures to demonstrate facts about the world, but you also tell stories and provide some deeper context, and you cover a lot of different topics. And I'm, I'm going to jump around just a little bit, but I want to give our, our listeners a flavor for this. So you look at a lot of different subjects, but let's start with your section on unemployment figures which you say don't tell the complete story. What do, you, what do you mean by that? And they never will because there are so many measures. Unemployment uh, is like, you know, I mean, it's simple. Uh, you are out of job, but there are different stages to it. For example, my favorite is in Japan. In Japan, when you graduate from high school, before you get the first job, you are not even eligible to be counted as employed or unemployed. So you can graduate from high school and be do nothing for the next five years, but you will not show up in any statistic whatsoever. Really. Right. Then in the U.S., as you know, there are people who may be unemployed for a week, people unemployed for two months or a year, or people unemployed for five years, and then they really get out of the system and nobody counts them. Because in many countries, when you are not in the process of seeking a job, you are not counted as unemployed. You simply drop out of the job market. So there is no single figure how to account for employment or unemployment. So you can have a pick of your figures. And as I show in the book, they give you the range from few percent to more than 10 percent. Yeah, yeah. So uh, also in this section, you write about what makes people happy. And happiness indexes have become really popular in recent decades. Uh, what, what kind of data is out there on, on that subject? Well, actually, there are two kinds of data. You may sort of construct a happiness index, and you take, you know, the predictable thing, the people's income, the people's level of education, uh, you know, just kind of the physical, the physical well-being. But as far as the mental well-being goes, that's very difficult to assess. So what you do, you simply go out there and you ask people, do you feel happy? So this is the subjective feeling. And the subjective well-being, it turns out, has very little to do with objective well-being, because some of the people 
who have relatively high or very high subjective well-being are among some very poor countries. You know, you go to Bolivia or you go to you go to Philippines, and these people feel much happier than people in Japan or in France. Really. So this is basically the state of the mind, uh, which has very little to do in many ways with physical well-being. Mm. So, so in some ways, it seems like one of the things you're trying to get across here is that while you believe deeply in the value of data to explain the world around us, you don't you don't subscribe to the simplicity, I guess, of, Absolutely, of data. Absolutely, because this is just the thing. See, whenever I do my books, I am not, I don't have an overarching thesis. I, am, I don't have a message. I have nothing to sell. What I'm trying to do is exactly what you said. I'm trying to describe the inherent complexity of the world. And once you start reducing it to these caricatures, these two simplistic images, then you are losing that complexity and you are losing the capacity to make the right decisions because you are making decisions on a single variable or kind of, you know, a few chosen picked variables. So the complexity is essential to understand the world. Yeah. So, so talk about the, the, the rise of data. I mean, there's so much more data available to us now than there was a decade ago. And I don't know that we have really stopped to think of the psychological or even the physical effect that well, that all has several, on us. There are several points here. One, we lost, the, as they say, the train left the station a long time ago. We now get such a torrent of data that we will be never able to just think of all these satellites flying above us, right? Taking the electronic images of the Earth, the clouds and the forests and the growing cities and, you know, just everything. And, of course, the spy satellites, uh, which down, go down in very fine resolution, photographing everything or sending everything in, in China or North Korea. That's the amount of information information, you know, probably, I mean, there are different estimates, but for every minute of the acquired information, we would need many years to analyze it. So, you know, most of it just gets piled up and it's never analyzed. So we are not just by flooded by information, but we are buried under it and we are not making the right decision because we cannot physically simply make the use of this flood of information. So that's a battle which we have already lost. Mm. Um, you also have a section that uh, looks at nations in the age of globalization. And you have a section on this idea of U.S. exceptionalism, something that we have had right. to contend with in a really big way over the last year during the pandemic when we have not looked terribly right. exceptional. Uh, what information do you have about this notion of uh, American Well, you know, uh, this, uh, my, my view is always global, really. And when you look globally, nations like to preen themselves. Nations say, you know, the French are French and America is the only remaining superpower. And uh, Britain, there is always something special about it. They invented industrial revolution. I try to cut down everybody to size. All of us should be much more humble than generally we are as collectivities as people. There are these times, you know, when nations kind of rise and fall and rise and fall again. And unfortunately, America is not what it used to be. When we came to U.S. in 69. It was a messy time, right? Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. uh, some cities were nearly burning, you know, all of that. But uh, the country was still sort of ascendant in a way. Talking about Detroit, of course, you know better than I do. In mid-60s, uh, the big three had 90% of American automotive market. Mm -hmm. Now it's not even half, really, right? So things have changed, and America has been cut down to size. Manufacturing has left millions of good jobs left America. Uh, China has risen. America is a trade deficit which is not going away. Again, you know, I just read last, uh, yesterday, the last month, the biggest trade deficit ever. 
So uh, there is lots of things which are wrong with U.S. used to be much better, and it's very difficult to fix it. Once you get on this downslide, it's very difficult to fix it. So, so should we be concerned about the, the sort of loss of preeminence, or should we be encouraged that other nations are also... Yeah, 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 exactly. That's it. So, you know, you, your policies have, have mightily helped to make China rich. And that's a great thing. Biggest nation in the world, under Mao, they were poor and uh, miserable and, and dying of hunger almost. Uh, so you made them kind of, you know, semi-prosperous or prosperous. So it's a great thing. But the toll, as you know, in, in Detroit and in the small places in U.S. South, one, one industry town, a place in Georgia, just makes the carpets or just makes the drapes, right? All gone to China now, really. So, the, uh, so you are right, you know, you help China immensely. But the toll on America has been really, really, uh, I wrote a whole book about it. It's called Made in USA a few years ago. Toll on America has been severe. Mm-hmm. So... Uh a lot of your work has been in the environmental space, um, and, I, and I want to talk to you a little about the ideological split, I think, that exists in environmentalism, where one side seems to put a lot of emphasis on individual action as a way of sort of uh, right. stemming the things that, that are causing climate uh, change, and the other side says individual action doesn't matter because what we really need is massive corporate reform. Uh, talk about the tension between those those two points and whether one is more true than the other. It goes, actually, it goes even further than that. So, of course, this is the obvious contradiction, individual and corporate, but it's much, much deeper than that because for the first time in history, we are faced with an environmental problem which is totally and utterly and completely global. So you could think, you know, that... The whole country could disappear, like in terms of emissions, you know, whole Denmark or even whole Canada, 37 million people, just could disappear and produce no carbon emissions. But there is China and there is India, right? And there is Russia. So, you know, unless everybody, and everybody doesn't mean 200 countries in the world because some of them are very small and their emissions are quite, you know, very, very tiny, but it requires at least like 25 major economies of the world to pull in one direction. If five of them will commit themselves to zero carbon and ten of them will keep puffing coal, uh, then, you know, the global situation is going never to improve. It will improve a little bit, but it will not be the solution. So for the first time, we have a problem which, despite of these ideological differences and uh, this messiness of politics, would require what we call the concerted action. And there are no signs of that. Mm. I'm talking with Václav Smil, a distinguished professor Emeritus at the University of Manitoba and author of more than 40 books on topics including energy and environment, population change, food production, and public policy. Uh, he's also Bill Gates' go-to guy for making sense of our world. And he has a new book out called Numbers Don't Lie, 71 Stories to Help Us Understand uh, the Modern World. You also write uh, some about energy in uh, in this new book. Uh, you explore fuel and electricity. And in that section, you write about the real cost of electricity. Could you talk more about that? Uh, that's a very complex thing because, you know, it's easy to say what goes into it, but to account for it, uh, this is not so easy. For example, you, you take a wind turbine. Wind turbine is a perfect example of, of green energy, right? But to get these plastic blades, uh, which rotate, and to get the steel tower on which they hang, and to build a foundation which are reinforced concrete, uh, well, you still need a great deal of 
fossil energy. You still need coal to make steel, and you need uh, fossil, you need, you need the liquid fuels, diesel oil, to bring these big trucks, uh, to bring those uh, big parts on the top of the hill and so on. So, you know, to account for the real cost of that uh, wind turbine, you have to account for the cost of steel and cement and uh, plastics, and uh, there you have to start making assumptions, right, because that steel will cost different amount of energy to produce if it was made in China or if it was made in USA or Canada. So it's easy to say what goes into it, but it's very difficult to quantify it and say what is the total energy cost, what you call the embedded energy cost of a, of a process or of, of, a, of a product. Mm. The book is Numbers Don't Lie, 71 Stories to Help Us Understand the Modern World. And the author is Vaslev Smil. Uh, Vaslav, thank you so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Bye-bye. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will join us. We're going to have a conversation with former U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, Barb McQuaid, about Community Policing Initiatives Grant. Plus, we will begin the second chapter of Inheritance with The Atlantic, where we're going to talk with Annette Gordon-Reed, about the little-known history of black people in America before 1619. This Inheritance series in the Atlantic has just been mind-blowing, just absolutely stunning, and I think it is a particular privilege of us here at Detroit Today that they've chosen to debut each of these pieces uh, with us as they appear in the magazine. And, of course, Annette Gordon-Reed is one of the really wonderful thinkers about race and history and inequality in our society. That's going to be a really wonderful conversation. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Anna Marie Seisling. Our program director is Joan Isabella, and our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And of course, Detroit Today's wonderful theme music was created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. We'll talk more then.